This week on Ultra 64, Steve! More start, start recording, Steve! Steve! The podcast belongs to me now. No, no, we, we, we play Command and Conquer like I just did. <laughs> yes. Welcome to Ultra 64, the podcast where we play all the Nintendo 64 games, the comprehensive N64 podcast, and we are harvesting Tiberium and rolling out tanks until we have played every last one of them. I am Woody Siskowski. Uh, my name is Steve Guntley, um, and man, there's a there's a noticeable lack of energy in this room between the two of us, between <laughs> the heat and the lateness and the general lack of sleep and, and the, the not general lack of enthusiasm for this game. Not a terribly exciting game. We it, wanted to play something. It, it was it was just poor timing because you know Command and Conquer. No no comment on its uh, quality. No, quality yet but sure. it is a it is a game that requires some figuring out i would i would have really liked to play some scars this week yeah this, yeah can we just play nba hang time and mace the dark age every week exactly <laughs> sometimes you just need to unplug a little bit and uh command and conquer requires you to plug but i'm gonna try and get us a little hyped up here if you're ready uh when i say command and you say conquer, conquer. command and conquer command and conquer when i say i'm tired you say me too yay all right we did it we're we're all hyped up now uh raising the roof and whatnot yes mission accomplished we are talking about command and conquer we're back in rts territory we've been here twice before twice with before? uh starcraft 64 and whatever and the hell a battle zone was whatever the know. hell this battle remains zone was. a mystery it's a first person rts uh steve mashup isn't life the original first person rts like Man. what is life beyond a real-time strategy game? It's true. I see month, through my own eyes. You go I'm in real time. I'm constantly building things. Well, and you're like, what am I gonna do next? What's the right next step so I can, you know, avoid uh, having to get overheated constantly? Yeah, exactly. It seems to be my. The, the zone I'm in is I'm, like, how can I not be sweaty all the time? I'm just waiting for that great cursor in the sky to tell me what to do, you know? Oh, that like, would be so nice. That would be nice. Some s- days you yeah. just want to be selected and told to go eat food like you're a goddamn sim or Except something. Except most of the time in this, we would just select a guy and they'd get blown up by a flamethrower. It's true. So maybe that's it's not true. great. Uh, so this is a series. This is a big series for a lot of people, and it's one I've never touched. But not us. Like I've I've never you know we've gone into it. Like I'm I'm not anti PC gaming or anything. I just no, you're never very really. PC. I'm you're, very anti PC. Yeah, the PC police are all Listen, over you. I keep it real. Yeah. I keep it real. You just say what you feel, and if someone wants to call you out on that, look, then... I'm just saying what racists are afraid to say out loud. Okay. <laughs> That's what I hear every time somebody says yeah, that exactly. shit. Yeah. So yeah, Command and Conquer. This is a blind spot for me. I've never played it. Yeah, uh, this is my too. first exposure to it. I'm I can, sure this is the ideal way to play it. Yeah, I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna go out on a limb and say this is not necessarily the way to jump into it. A game that uh, that was released four years after the original on a console, not built for RTS nope. games uh, at all. But you know what? Let's dig into it. And let's see what happens. Shot. I feel like with Command & Conquer, it's one of those series that, like, there are so many releases that I just kind of never really knew where to jump in. Well, PC you know? gaming always had the weird aspect of, I think, that generally the production costs for a PC game were so much lower. Yeah. Because they didn't have to figure out a way to, like, manufacture a cartridge or a special disc for the console. So it was okay to just, like, we're going to release expansions for this. Yeah, And yeah. Command & Conquer, I think, was really guilty of that, and it was really confusing. It's one of those things that you're like, okay... Do I play Tiberium Wars first, or do like? Do I play con- Command and Conquer Red Alert Three: Colon Yuri's Revenge? Yeah, like I don't exactly. know. Like hunt, who's Yuri? I have no idea. The hunt for Yuri's gold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hunt for Yuri's Tiberium. Uh, Command and Conquer the Squeakwool. Command mm-hmm. and Conquer Electric Boogaloo. Command and Conquer Tripwreck. Tripwreck. <laughs> All right, a little bit about this game. Uh, Command and Conquer was released May 31st, 1999, developed by Westwood Studios and published by Nintendo. That's right, first-party publisher on this one. Uh, it was also appeared on Windows, DOS, Mac, PS1, and the Sega Saturn. So a little bit about Westwood Studios. Uh, they started as Westwood Associates in 1985, founded out of Las Vegas. Uh, and they were named after a neighborhood in L.A. just to make it extra confusing. They lived they were based in Las Vegas, named after an L.A. Okay. neighborhood sure. because they felt that was a neighborhood that blended business with pleasure. So yeah. I don't know why they could have just called themselves Las Vegas, but whatever. <laughs> yes, beloved company, Las Vegas. Yeah. 
Uh, so their very first game did not really portend the company that they would become. Their debut title was Donald's Alphabet Chase, which was an mm. edutainment game starring Donald Duck released on the Apple II in 1988. Uh, they quickly found their niche, though, with their next game, which was called Battletech The Crescent Hawks Inception, which wow. I love that title. That, that should be the new title. I'm going to stop using Squeakle as a reference. I'm going to start using the Battle Ho- or the Crescent Hawks Inception. Yeah, the Chipmunks Part 4, The Crescent <laughs> Hawks Inception. <laughs> I really wonder what that looks like. Uh, So yeah, uh, which was their first kind of stab at a turn-based RPG. Uh, From then, they would dig into a few uh, Dungeons & Dragons RPGs, including the critical and fan-favorite Eye of the Beholder, uh, before finally making their major These are games for nerds. These are very, very... Like, this studio, more than most, is for deep nerds. Uh, They finally uh, uh, kind of crossed over with their first major, major hit, Dune 2, uh, they did not make Dune 1. It was meant to be like a sequel to the book, I think. Okay. And this was their was first... Led by uh, Brian Herbert. Yes. What's, what's, that's Frank Herbert's son, right? Yeah, it's Brian Herbert yeah. and uh, Kevin Anderson, who I met when I was working at a Barnes & Noble. He came in to sign some of his new books. Uh, he signed my name wrong, even okay. though I was wearing a name tag. I didn't know who he was. He offered me this. He's like, oh, here, here. Uh, do you like sci-fi? I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. He, he signs it real quick, hands it to me. Best of luck, Kevin J. Anderson, Steven with a PH. Okay. And I'm like, thank right you for this free book. I appreciate it. I never read it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it was cool. Of him, I always least. wonder um, about the family, like the hereditary handing down of franchises. Yeah. And like how how that goes. Like, do the sons sort of take it upon themselves? Or like, I kind of got that feeling with Tolkien. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, a little that, bit. Like, you know, maybe this wasn't what was intended, but then there's times where it's like clearly part of the legacy. Yeah. It's, it's just so odd that you're like, oh, you know, like, uh, oh crap, who's the guy who writes all those, uh, like Clive, Clive Cussler. Clive Cussler, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because he's got like, uh, he, he's kind of like James Patterson, that he's a brand, you know, yeah. him and Tom Clancy and, and Patterson. They... It, it's just so odd that they're like, the only person who can continue this story is someone related to the person who wrote the original books. Tony yeah. Hillerman, that's who I'm thinking oh, of. Tony, oh, Tony, okay. His daughter like writes the Medicine Woman like oh. mystery series now. And you're like, why did they decide that that like... The daughter is really the person to capture the aesthetic. Like, it flows in the bloodline. Yeah, mystery runs deep. Mystery is in our DNA in the Hillerman family. Anyway, Dune 2. Just trying to kill time. Dune 2 was a uh, PC and Genesis game that's kind of seen as like the progenitor of the modern RTS game. And I think it heavily influenced not only this game we're playing today, but other games like Warcraft, which eventually made Starcraft, which Mm -hmm. eventually made a billion dollars. Which eventually was fun. It eventually (laughs) was fun. Um, So yeah, that kind of provided the, the framework for what would become Westwood's biggest game, which is this game. So... Development of Command and Conquer began in 1993. Uh, so the goal with this game was to implement all of the features that they wanted in Dune 2, but couldn't because they just had technical limitations. So this I mean, is just those, an expansion yeah, basically early, on that. Early RTS are, are really tough. It's hard to wrap your head around those systems, and I imagine that Dune 2 really suffers from that. And I think that Command and Conquer was probably one of the earliest examples of like, oh, this is designed to be intuitive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This game was originally going to be another, like, fantasy set, like, Dungeons & Dragons style game, but uh, the developers were kind of influenced by the Gulf War and by the uh, the 1993 attacks on the World Trade Center. Like, you're, you're reading more and more, like, terrorism was the thing Americans were afraid of. Which hey, thank uh, would, goodness we've moved past that. Yeah, that, that that nothing nothing really happened with that. We all just as a society moved past it. Um, we, get, but, we begin to focus on fixing the problems here at home instead of redirecting our energies on an unseen enemy. Absolutely, and and definitely not like launching into a feudal war for weapons of mass destruction that never existed in exactly. a ma- massive definitely power grab. Not continually fueling xenophobia. Yes. Oh, not at all. Not at all. We're go America, right? Exactly. USA, USA, raise the roof. Anyway, yeah, so uh, they were influenced by kind of that. And uh, while, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very used to reading about, like, behind-the-scenes stories of successful things that were just, like, a clusterfuck and everybody hated <laughs> each other and it kind of got done beside, like, despite all of their efforts. Yeah. But every interview I've read with developers of this game was like, yeah, this was a total blast. Like, we all got along. We all had fun making this the entire time. Couldn't believe we got paid for it. So, like, <laughs> that was refreshing to hear. Yeah, I'm like, sure. they enjoyed making and this. I That's think that fun. that comes through in, uh, I mean, we'll get to it, but um, a big point. Pull- 
feature of the Command and Conquer games is yeah. the full motion video with actors who seem pretty obvious to just be dudes who were around the studio. Oh, very You're much like, so. Hey, can I wear this funny hat and be a terrorist? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Can. Well, so uh, Command and Conquer originally launched on DOS in 1995, and it went on to become the company's flagship franchise. The franchise has sold more than 10 million copies to date, which is pretty great. Um, along with the Dune series, uh, a series called Legends of Kyrandia, and a couple of sequels to Eye of the Beholder, the company was starting to become like a big hot property. And so in 1998, as uh, as befits anything becoming a hot property, it was bought by EA, ah, $122 million. Sure. And they were promptly put to work on a few high-profile projects. But uh, there was a spin-off game called Command & Conquer Renegades and another uh, original RTS game called Earth & Beyond. Man, EA was such a heavy hitter. Like, I never even thought of them as doing anything around that time. But they yeah. were already buying up big companies. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, and uh, neither of those games that they were put on really panned out. They were kind of critical and commercial flops. And so EA got cold feet about Westwood Studios, and they dissolved them in 2002. They oh. announced they, li they were liquidating the studio. They were laying off the majority of the 100 employees there mm. and shifting the rest of the assets over to EA Los Angeles. And I think this is the first time that EA kind of started developing that reputation of being the company that just, like, buys up beloved publishers uh, tries them out for one game, they fail, and then they shut them down. They did right. the same with, like, Maxis and, like, a bunch of other little smaller well, it's studios. it's like the assumption that somehow the, the company is going to act the same way when they're under this big, like, corporate banner. Like, yeah. A, a like, a company gets an infrastructure of, like, how it works. Yeah. And then when EA buys them, they have to be like, okay you need to do it this way and this is the setup that you need to follow under and then they have trouble working under that situation because yeah. they're used to doing it their own way and then the game flops and they're like, well, you, you guys fucked up. Like, <laughs> seriously, it sounded like they had a utopian kind of situation going on when they were making this first game, you know? So what helps with that? Corporate notes. Yeah, exactly. That always helps facilitate the uh, smoothness of an operation. So yeah, uh, EA would go on to develop all Command & Conquer games from then on without any of Westwood's input. So a little bit about the series in general. Um, this is one of the series credited with popularizing the RTS genre, along with Dune 2 and uh, Warcraft. And it has a very strong following to this day, uh, and it's gotten a lot of support over the years. There are more than 25 main games or substantial oh expansions given to this game since its debut in 1995. So fans tend to divide the franchise into three kind of eras. There's the Tiberian series, there's the Red Alert series, and there's the Generals series. So the Generals series isn't really related. Uh, the Red Alert series is a prequel, and the Tiberian games are what we played today, okay. talking about the Tiberian War. So each of these have their own running plot lines and central characters. Um, the Red Alert titles have generally been the strongest sellers in the yeah. franchise. Those are the ones you kind of hear about the most. And uh, yeah, Generals is the most recent version, and updated versions have gone free-to-play. So this do particular they still game still make Command and Conquer games? They do not. And okay. I'll I'll get into that in a little bit, but this game took so long to get to the N64 because uh Sega had a, an exclusive license with uh, Virgin Interactive who owned Westwood Studios at the time. Okay. And uh so they was only allowed you were only allowed to play Command and Conquer on the Sega Saturn for home consoles until 1999. Okay, and then the floodgates opened. The floodgates opened. Oh boy, did we go wild. Oh, and I do want to talk a little bit more about those FMV cutscenes because yeah. uh so yeah, th this this series has utilized FMV cutscenes since the very beginning and kind of charmingly they kept it going yeah. long after the medium was dead. <laughs> And they never really upped the production values. They just uh, started bringing in big names, which is kind of great. Like if you watch some of these like old cutscenes, they're really hilarious. So like, uh, like the one consistent character, Joseph D. Kukan. He's a he's a game developer at Westwood, and he plays Kane, okay. who's the series villain, and he just keeps coming back. Guy. Yeah, like you said, in this first game, we don't really get cutscenes here. We get some still images, and yeah. we get a lot of voice acting on the on the N sixty four one. But, I mean, I imagine that watching FMV video on, on your PC in 1995 yeah. was pretty exciting. Sure. I, I mean... But, you know, we, we get the gist of it. But um, as, as the series kind of moved on, yeah, they started attracting bigger and bigger names. So I've got kind of a rundown of some of the people who have appeared in this. And it's like a really nice mix of, like, B-movie staples 
and like Jerry Seinfeld, actual Oscar winners. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Jerry like Seinfeld and his Barry B. Benson. Yeah. So uh, some of the characters we've had are Michael Bean, James Earl Jones, Malcolm McDowell, Ray Wise, Udo Kier, Michael Ironside, Billy D. Williams, Grace Park, Trisha Helfer, and now our Oscar winner, J.K. Simmons, Oscar <laughs> nominee, Jonathan Price, Tim Curry, Oscar winner Jenny McCarthy, that's a lie, uh, <laughs> Peter Stamari, Gina Carano, and Sir David Hasselhoff. All of these people have appeared in Command and Conquer games. J.K. Simmons, like, you could make a weird just mix of his different film roles. Yeah. Like, cutting together, like, just 15 minutes of J.K. Simmons, like, random roles in different things and, like, cut together his time as the Eminem. Oh, and he's never Command bad. And- I, I love him. He's never bad in any movie. I just watched the movie Palm Springs on Hulu, mm-hmm. which is delightful, and he's great in that. Uh, yeah, he's one of my favorites. So yeah, I don't know. I, I I like that this series kept that going long beyond anyone else did. Yeah, <laughs> like they were just really into that. So, all right, let's talk about this game a little bit today. A little bit about the plot here. Uh, you know, so the series would get more complex and cinematic over time. But in this early iteration, there's only a few things you really need to know. So, this game takes place in kind of an alternate history version of 1995. Okay. Uh, so a meteor has crashed to Earth, uh, hitting Italy. And uh, the the meteor has like this mysterious substance called Tiberium on it, which like spread around and like, yeah, useful tanium, exactly. Um, And so you can choose in this game to play as one of two factions, either the Militaristic Global Defense Initiative or GDI, which is led by Brigadier General Mark Jameson Shepard. Or you can play as the Evil Brotherhood of Nod, which is a pseudo-religious fascist cult. Led by uh, like <laughs> led by a guy named Kane, and I hope that's how they salute each other. It's like, what's up? Yeah. What's up, bro? What's up? Do the chin up? Yeah, yeah. Do one of those. Yeah, give a little nod. Nod for nods. Everyone. So whichever side you choose to play as, the goal is kind of generally the same. You need to be the force that controls the world's source of Tiberium, which uh, is what you use to kind of develop your base and spend money and build your army. I mean, that was generally a pretty important feature. I mean, I think that's still of an important feature of RTS. I've so fallen off the RTS train. Oh, yeah. But, like, um, the idea that there's different factions who each have a unique campaign, mm-hmm. and this was, you know, obviously driven to the extreme in StarCraft. It's like, not only do the, you know, like Warcraft, you have orcs and humans, but they all run with the same basic materials, and the gameplay is basically the same. Yeah. But, like, StarCraft, it's like, oh, these all have different mechanics and sort of different costs, and just every unit is different and not equivalent to each other and things like that. Yeah, here um, it's the, essentially like a palette swap for most of the yeah. units. It's like you can, you're, you're gray guys instead of tan guys now. So. Yeah, the campaign, the campaigns are different. Like, the first level of, um, you know, the quote-unquote good guys, um, even though you're just invading companies to... Or countries to steal their Tiberium. Sure. So, like, questionable. But, Our hero. Uh, yeah, you, you sort of go and establish a base and sort of get set up and eliminate people around the area. Yeah. Whereas if you, the first level of the Brotherhood of Nod, you just, like, go wipe everyone out. There's no building anything. It's just maybe no. the first level... Maybe the only game on N64 where, like, the first level is just wipe out these civilians. Yeah. <laughs> you were talking about that. Like, not even Carmageddon has a level where you're supposed to wipe out civilians. You're yeah. only supposed to kill zombies or other car racers. And it's a very boring first level because you're literally just spending minutes just mowing down houses. Yeah. You are fire back at you. You're not really feeling the same kind of moral pangs that you do in, like, Call of Duty Modern Warfare sure. 2, you know, where you have to execute a airport full of people. You're not really feeling that. You're watching dots shoot other dots i mean that's maybe the transition in that the game i think that the sort of quote unquote the cutscenes of this game look pretty good like sure um, for 1995 graphics yeah yeah i mean this game came out in 1999 right yeah yeah so this is four years after but i think even by n64 standards like it's a pretty sharp picture of a person yeah um and it's just a still image but it has full voice acting yeah, and the um, voice acting sounds good. Like, I'll yeah, give it credit. Yeah, it it's pretty clear. And I will say this game endeared itself to me right at the beginning because when you oh, boot yeah. it up, there's the N64 logo, and then a tiny, tiny little commando comes out and blows up the N64 logo. It has a really weird intro. It's, like, initializing, detecting controller, and then they, like, show a claymation animation of an N64 controller spinning around, and it looks like it's sort of running this intricate computer program on your N64. Yeah, it keeps saying, like, installing. Like, there's three, like, audio settings. It's like It looks like it's installing, but it's clearly... You can skip it. It's kind of cute. It is. It is. It's a a charming way to start the game. And also, I want to see a supercut of every time an N64 logo is mangled or destroyed in some way. Oh, yeah, like, you got... There's Banjo, uh... There's 
Diddy Kong Racing, where Diddy like runs into it. Um, Two Rock Two, where all of the enemies are just standing on it, having a party, getting oh, shot. Yeah. Uh, South Park, like yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot. They had fun with that one. They did. So, yeah, um, yeah. Um, but the actual game itself, I think, looks pretty poopy. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all right. So we're we're already running into the issues that come up anytime you try and do an RTS game on a console, especially in this generation. And that's that the controls are overly elaborate because they're not you're not meant to map a keyboard to an N64 controller. Right. You're just not. Uh and it they're they're like with StarCraft, they're doing the best they can with what they have. I found StarCraft so much more pleasant to play. It, oh, definitely. Because, like, I guess I know how to play StarCraft. I don't know how to play Command Conquer. And that's true. And, I mean, you're going to get the gist uh, if you understand StarCraft. Like, I think you're going to get the gist yeah. of this. It's kind of the same idea. You build structures. You build units. You try and harvest money, uh, something to fuel your mm-hmm. industry. You In this require case, more pylons. Exactly. Yeah. In this case, you're you need to make a harvester to gather tiberium and that'll keep your money rolling in yeah the i mean the the weird thing about this is the the first few levels of the campaign are sort of intended as a bit of a tutorial yeah. so you only have a limited amount of buildings that you can build yeah but it has a very like set build pattern like the actual quote-unquote strategy is just so light at the start because it's like build a base build a power plan build a barracks right pump out a bunch of dudes and then like go blow stuff up and yeah. it's just like it's just not very engaging but i i i think that but also my... it weirdly like throws you in like like the screen just yeah, kind every, of opens every and every level, there's just chaos like every time you open every it. level seems to start with your guys just kind of wiping out the opposition and right in the middle of a battle and i guess the idea is like oh you've created a foothold here so now you need to start a base but it is a very off-putting way to start yeah yeah i think that graphically a big problem here I think the, you know, one of the many good things about StarCraft um, is that everything looks very distinct. Like sure. the units all look pretty different than each other. The races all have their own pretty set color palettes. Yeah. Um, whereas this, if you're the good guys, everything is brown. Yeah. And if yeah. you're the bad guys, everything is dark blue. Yeah. And it's just, it's so hard to differentiate between the different units because this game doesn't have nearly as many units as StarCraft. No. But... There's, you know, they serve different purposes. You got your general gunner, your guy who throws grenades, and then you have engineers that you use to repair buildings, or you can send them into enemy buildings to take control of them. Yeah. But it's super hard to tell, like, who your engineers are in a big mass of dudes. Yeah, immediately when we were messing with the options, like, I set the cursor speed to the highest level because in my experience with these games, when you're trying to use some kind of mouse analog on mm-hmm. a console, it's, way too it's slow. sluggish. So yeah. I'm like, all right, I'll get it. I'll get going a little faster. And immediately, it's way too fast to have any kind of precision. Going down a level didn't help much. And even at the lowest level, it's still a little touchy. It does feel a little touchy. It's just so hard. I don't know. It's like... Starcraft, I felt like I was generally able to do what I wanted to do Sure. in the game. Um, it certainly wasn't great, but there was, you know, the mini-map down at the bottom. I had a good sense of what was going on. And here, I just felt like I was fighting against the controls all the time. Like, yeah. aside from just the sort of intrinsically confusing nature of what the controls were doing, because you have to... This is this this is probably what bugged me the most is the A button selects a unit or you mm-hmm. can hold it to make the little square and select multiple things. Yeah. But then the A button also commands the units to go conquer. Yeah. Um, you like in StarCraft or I imagine on PC for Command and Conquer, left click to select things, right click to have them actually move somewhere. Yeah. So here it's the same button to select something as well as move them, and the result of that is often you'll have them try to move somewhere. And then you'll accidentally select a different unit. Or, I don't know, the AI is just so bad. Like, yeah. they don't, they won't fight anyone on the move. You have to select a unit for them to attack. They'll go to the spot. Or, like, if you're like, oh, there's an army of enemies up there. I'm going to have them go fight it. So you click next to the enemies. They'll run all the way to the spot they need to be. Yeah. Even if it's a couple inches from the enemies. And then they'll plant their feet and wait. And they're like, okay, now we'll fight. It's like, just fight them on your way, dudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what kind of soldier is like running to battle and they're like they're shooting at me but i have to get to that spot i'm not going to shoot back yet i'm going to i have my orders damn it i'm going to stand two feet from them before i fire gotta plant those feet yeah you have to do that too with the engineers like you need to be right up next to the building before he'll take the command which you know i guess makes sense like logically you need to be close to a building to fix it but like 
it's still kind of tedious then, as a yeah, game. Yeah, you have to go through like an option menu by pressing R. You have to select a unit and then select the wrench to actually right there by pressing. And R. I guess I mean like. I wish you could just select a wrench icon, put it on the building that need to be repaired, click on that, and then he'll just go. But yeah. you need to move him over there first, That's and then you can like. do it. Like, that would be that would be kind of a better and way to put it. I don't know. Like, it's clear that these first levels are set up to have you sort of learn the mechanics of the game. Yeah. But there's nobody who comes in consistently and is like, now you need to build a communications layer, which will allow you to do this. Yeah. Like, the, the goals are very simple at first, and you can only build one building at a time. But it's not clear. The, the game doesn't teach you what each of these things do. Yeah, you'll want to review the manual and the controls very carefully before you even get started with this, or watch some kind of tutorial. Like, or you could just play it on PC, where it'd probably be much easier and much more intuitive. Yeah. But uh, you know, like you're definitely going to need to review this stuff because it doesn't really do a very good job of weaning you into it. Mm -hmm. Like, well, that's uh, the thing that's so weird about this game. It's like, who is this game? Like, what's the audience of this game? I mean, because the obvious. To me, the audience is like someone who doesn't have a powerful enough PC to run a game from four years ago. Right. Um, and, you know, only has this console. But it's just an odd imagining of like someone who's really excited to play Command and Conquer and really is a, finds the idea appealing but doesn't have a PC. Yeah, yeah. Because like, it just was so out of the radar of someone who would be enthusiastic about a Nintendo 64, I think. And I mean, I feel like a lot of people would probably be surprised to learn this game is on the N64 at all. Mm -hmm. Like, this is pretty pretty low profile. I don't think very many people noticed when it came out because, like, by this point, they were probably on to, like, Command & Conquer 7 or something yeah, like that. They, when, did, they, when did StarCraft 64 come out? That, uh, 2000. Okay, yeah. so this would have been sort of your only choice at the time right. for this. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, at this point, certainly StarCraft has come out for the PC. So, yeah. like, Command & Conquer in the, on the PC already feels very dated. It does, yeah. yeah, already it does. And so... It's one of those weird kind of situations where it's like, well, they're they're not really adding a whole lot new. I guess one thing they could say that they add that's that's unique is the special ops mode uh -huh. that you play on here. And I actually found this kind of compelling once we got it sure. going. So basically, you're given a set of parameters and you're only given one commando. But I think that this is I think that's only true for the first level. I think so. I think so. Well, at least for this yeah. one specific mission. There were only two missions listed, so like I'm I, sure we could have unlocked more if we had wanted yeah. to play this game for hours and hours. So basically you have to be much more intentional about your first moves. You need to go in with this one commando, take out a couple of SAMs so that you can launch an airstrike on this big weird obelisk that's shooting lasers at <laughs> yeah, everybody. Yeah, that just like incinerates your commando. We started this level, you're like, Oh, what's that thing? You walk over to it this laser just blows just, up your commando and it was like mission failed seconds it yeah. was seconds and then i tried to get up near the sam but like there were enemies there and they took me out before i could so you kind of figured out you need to park them like a little bit of a distance away and, and then pick them, off. pick them off from there but then like you went up to destroy the sam and it blew up and it hurt you because you need to plant a bomb and run away well i mean the thing about this mode is you know the much like StarCraft, the campaign mode is like easing you in and you get more options every time. So each level is different. This is just like custom levels. Yeah. And even though these levels are unique to the Nintendo 64, I'm, and I get this, <laughs> I don't know enough about Command & Conquer for the PC, but this is like equivalent to all of the custom modes that PC gaming has. Sure. Like user created content yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And this is basically like, you know, they use the tools to create unique levels for the N64, but I'm sure you would have gotten infinite sort of equivalent levels if you played command and conquer for pc right and even looking at again we keep comparing it to starcraft but like even looking at starcraft 64 like i feel like their modes were a little more inventive like there was a soccer mode in that game mm -hmm. like which is which is totally unique and weird and different and but I, I do like the idea of kind of starting from nothing and having to build it up you know you get your airstrike and then it'll leave an MCV so you can build a, a construction yard and then you can start building up your fort. Mm -hmm. And this is also a good way to start seeing some of the units that are kind of locked out in the story mode. Sure. So you can start seeing some of the buildings and the different weapons and vehicles and everything like that. No, and I mean, this is this game, you know, that mode sort of made it clear that you're like, oh yeah, this is a competent, fun, real-time strategy game. It, sure. You know, it does what you want. There's a lot of buildings to build and units to build, but there's just so many sort of poor quality of life things that are just already dated like you can only build like one unit from each row at a time yeah like you build a tank an infantry unit and a building but you can only build you can't queue anything up you can't be like i want to build 
um, you know, a machine gunner and then a flamethrower guy after that. you ha- Each time it builds, you have to go back and choose a new guy. Yeah. And so that was just, I don't know, it was just, this game to me is, I can't think of any reason to play this game unless you have a Nintendo 64 podcast. That's kind of the thing. Like, I don't think anything about this game is particularly broken. Like, I feel like I mean, they're genuine. Do. Well, like, no, I don't I know. Had, I feel like they're genuinely doing the best they can I with the hardware. I had so much trouble just, like, controlling the mouse in an efficient way. Yeah. Like, I just, I never felt like I was sort of in control. I never felt like my guys were going where I wanted them to. Um, but at the same time, fighting. I I feel like this wasn't a result of the developers not caring or, or okay. not being good at their job. I just got the sense that this is the best this controller can do. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, mean, StarCraft was probably a little better. But, but yeah, you that's know, the like, problem is... is like you're, you're playing this on, you're playing a very old game Yeah. on a, on a system that's just naturally going to cripple your ability to play these games. Um, and you're playing a... If you really want a real-time strategy game, like, StarCraft is just a much, much better game. And oh, like, yeah. You know, I haven't played a lot of Command & Conquer, but I think it's safe to say that StarCraft is a better game. Oh, that's sure. Oh, sure. Best- uh, yeah, and so it's just... And another thing worth mentioning, this game's got no multiplayer mode. I was going to bring that up. And yeah, like, no multiplayer. And RTS games kind of... Like, in the early going, especially, like, with the advent of the internet and everything like that, th- this was how these games kind of made their impact yeah, and you know what gives it the lasting play appeal that's why starcraft is still like the national pastime of korea like yeah. it's a big deal and like the original command and conquer was kind of built on this to a degree like this was one of those games that came with an extra disc that you could give to a friend oh, so neat. you guys can play together yeah. for the cost of one game like they really wanted to encourage that kind of community and from what i understand from reading online this does have a big active like online community that really loves it yeah, i mean you know playing multiplayer rts on on a tv screen on a console is not an easy thing but like starcraft did it it, it wasn't did it. great like the fr- it was very hard to see and the frame rate was not super but like it was there it you was could, there you you could experience sort of what that was about yeah so it's yeah. it's for me it's hard to say whether or not it was a good thing or not that they i think part of me thinks like okay good for them they recognize their limitations and they didn't try and shoehorn in like an inferior version of something just to say they but that's did like it. That's like the essence of the Nintendo 64, uh, is shoehorning in multi- multiplayer modes that don't need it. They're right. Like, oh, Donkey Kong 64, we don't have enough content here. Jet Force Gemini, we better shoehorn in some multiplayer. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I guess that is true, like a lot of companies, because they like, all right, we've got the four ports. It's our imperative to make a multiplayer mode work, whether or not it's going to actually work. So like I, I don't know I can't really say I, you it's hard to it's hard to pass judgment on something that doesn't exist you know like sure but I mean I do think that like that would have been another selling point for the game because I feel like the only situation that you would be a console owner who's excited about Command and Conquer is you went and played it with a friend yeah some, and some now, local co-op yeah yeah and now finally you have it on your console and you invite your friend over to play hey come play it on my N64 we played it on your computer four years ago yeah yeah um, but that's that's just not really a sell no not really and I think these these units already look much fuzzier and like older than uh, uh, games kind of of this generation yeah. so it'd be even harder to see on the little quarter screen you know so and so I, the game sound I would say that the game I mean I think the voice acting is good I appreciated the way every time you select a unit they say something yeah um, I yeah think that's kind of a fundamental aspect of real they crammed a lot of sound. Yeah, speaking of sound. Yeah, speaking there, of, there, we got some dogs. chorus of dogs yes. because they're not getting enough attention right it's now. It's kind of creepy in here now. Like, usually we record much earlier and, like, I can't see your face. The light's <laughs> fading. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the moon is rising. I'm feeling a hunger. Well, yes. This is taking an ominous turn. Yeah. Um, there's a very annoying, like, clicky sound while they're researching, like, a new building yeah. to build. And it just sounds like your TV is a bunch of static problems. Yeah. But then you get the typical, like, soothing british lady announcing whenever a unit's built unit is ready yeah exactly building complete not enough funds but they never pip, tell pip, you cheerio. why like they're just like build a uh, command inoperative like, yeah you can't do that and you're like why can't i do that and very annoying he doesn't feel like it yeah, yeah you can't build i 
you can't build new buildings unless they're touching other ones, which is sort of a mechanic of the game. Yeah. But you also can't do it if you have a unit where you want to build. Oh, yeah. Like, it's so finicky. Yeah. You, I mean, if this game was smarter, the unit would just move. You try to build there, and the unit just kind of moves a little to the left and then builds next to it. I love the idea yeah. of, like, delaying a major construction project because there's just a guy standing there, and he won't move. We, he doesn't know. No one, the, the, the cursor of God has not come down. And yeah. Move. It's like, buddy, move. We're trying to build a high-rise here. Can't. Yeah, I'm standing here. Like, yeah. no one's told me not to. Yeah, like, exactly. I, what are you going to do? Well, I'm telling you not to. Are you a cursor? <laughs> Why do we both have the same voice? I don't know. I'm tired and lazy. I can't come up with two voices. Well, we're in Command and Conquer. Everyone's got the same voice. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Hello. hey, I'm standing here. Hey, what? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, a little bit more about the Command and Conquer series from then on. So... Yeah, like I said, the series burned bright and uh, for, for two decades. It was a big popular thing with 25 different units, but it's been pretty quiet on the Command & Conquer front lately. There has not been a proper release in the series since 2012 with Command & Conquer Tiberian Alliance. Uh, EA had announced plans to develop uh, Command & Conquer Generals 2 as a free-to-play online-only experience, but uh, that fizzled out. Uh, the game was canceled. They said they were going to try and find another developer for it, but they never did. Oh, there's so many video games in the world, Steve. Yeah. Like, it's just it's weird to think of. Like, we think of us as people who play a lot of video games, but, like, there's just so many blind spots that you're always going to have. And, like... I like to think that there's somebody who's played every one of these yeah. games. Yeah. If, if you've played every, if you've played every video game out there, write in and tell yeah. us how it was. <laughs> how was E.T.? Did you yeah, like it? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but in 2018, EA released Command & Conquer Remastered Collection, which featured remade versions of both this game and Red Alert. Uh, and that one sold well and was well-received, so I wouldn't be surprised if the series was due for a revival. But in the meantime, there are 25 other games on every console imaginable if you want to go back and experience this series. You still can. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to feel that a lot of this is driven by nostalgia. Yeah. Because, I, mean, I mean, if that was probably the best-selling thing was you know, a remaster of the original version. It's just like, it goes back to a time when people were willing to learn new mechanics of games. Yeah. And now it's like a much tougher sell. Yeah, yeah. It's it's harder to, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's harder to justify that. Um, are we ready to move on to our rankings? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so each week we are... got to get out of here before it gets pitch black. And I know. It's my getting, skin. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't have a problem because I've had uh, ocular surgery, so I can see in the Ooh, dark. very nice. Uh, but, you know, not everybody has my pitch black abilities. Um, yeah, so uh, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Where right. are you putting this I one? I can't bear. I can barely see this. Um, I I did not. I did not like this game. I no. think that this game is mechanically. Boy, it, I just did not find this game fun to play. Like I'm, you know, I'm I'm not in a very good mood, so I'm sure that affected it. Sure. Um, but like the the mechanics were unsatisfying and mostly just the AI was bad and it felt very slow. Like you yeah. only build one unit at a time have to wait for a new harvest or a new tank to get built like you know two minutes or something it was just a drag and this game did not look good it's just such it would be so hard to justify being like this is the game for n64 i'm going to go back and play right um and so i'm putting it at number 161 which is under mortal Kombat mythology sub-zero which is this is probably a better game than that but that game brings me joy and this yeah. game does not so That's fair. in a way, yeah, and if, if this, if I was Mary Kondo and I was pulling this out of my collection and I'm like, does this bring me joy? I would throw it away. Okay. It's, it's the, the magical art of tie of commanding and conquer. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. Com- Marie Kondo commanded you to throw it away yeah. and you conquered I, your. I conquered my uh, hoarding. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Conquered. Um, for me, I, I think I liked this a little bit better. Um, because just for the same reason, like this, again, this inspires no joy in me either. Um, but I don't, like I said, I don't think it's broken. I don't think it's poorly made. I think it might have been ill-conceived to try and cram this game onto this console. Sure. But I don't, I don't read any ill intent behind this i don't read any uh laziness this is new steve's new rating system of whether or not yeah the does, this game, there. does this game does this i mean after carmageddon yeah. a game that actively hates you uh this one does not feel like that uh so i'm putting this at number 128 directly above Battlezone: rise of the black dogs okay. which i feel like is the closest thing you can compare it to besides yeah. starcraft and starcraft is 
far far better yes um so if you're really getting an rts itch and you have to play it on the n64 <laughs> you're some kind of insane person spend a hundred dollars on starcraft 64 who only wants to play rts on n64 right yeah. in and tell us what is wrong with you what is wrong with you <laughs> yeah. i do want to know um you clearly have a computer because you're listening to this yeah exactly <laughs> it, it's you know it, it, there's just nothing terribly terribly uh relevant about this game like there's no this game does not really justify its existence very well. No. And maybe, so, yeah, I, I, but neither do I. So yeah, you know, true. I'm a man of no discernible <laughs> skills. So you hey, know, you're an excellent podcast. Oh, thank you, yes. thank you. Um, well, we have a couple letters here. Let's let's read those. This one um, comes from Squinty McSquinterson in <laughs> from the Darklands. Hey, I've got a light on my screen. I'm reading this on a Game Boy Advance SP. Ooh, nice. Anyway, uh, dear Woody, Steve, and guests. No, uh, no guests, but next time. Uh, just wanted to write and thank you for the quality content on the N64. I've written before, but y'all have actually inspired me and a buddy of mine to get into podcasting about the Nintendo GameCube. Nice. So how do you push through the absolutely terrible games that you encounter on the system? Do you have any tips for a couple of guys just getting started on podcasting? <laughs> well, thankfully, there's no terrible games for the GameCube, right? Yeah, right, yes. exactly. Thanks again for the great and informative show, and that is from Tom. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Tom. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, the GameCube show sounds really fun. I, I would love to talk about it. Yeah. For me... I don't know. I kind of, I kind of look forward to the terrible games more than like the high quality ones. I think that it's. I think the problem. Okay. Yeah. I think that it's the middling games that I have the most trouble. Right. With. Because like with, with uh, GoldenEye, with Super Mario sixty four. There's not a whole lot to say about those games that hasn't been said or felt or experienced yeah. by everybody. I like tracking down the really fucking weird ones, like the your your rat attacks and your, your hybrid heavens. Hybrid heavens. Your Charlie's Blatt's zones. Exactly. Like the things that don't have any love or don't deserve any love. Either way, we get to find out. You know, because there's a little bit of a sense of discovery about yeah. it. So those are the ones I tend to look forward to the most. That yeah, I would I would rank it like if we were to make a ranking of the most ones I'm excited for. It's games that I have no idea what they are about. Yeah. Your Starshot Space Circuses. Yeah. Rockets, <laughs> robots on wheels. Yeah. Um, and then probably the games that I'm actually legitimately like and excited to play. Because mm -hmm. even though I'm not saying we're contributing anything new to the conversation about Ocarina of Time, but like we're still passionate about it. It's fun yeah. to talk about. Oh, of course. It's a great game. And then you sort of have, you know, I would say the hardest ones are like, uh, your second row of basketball games. Sure. Like one, yeah, yeah. You when... played the Maddens, and then you're like, okay, now we got to play the quarterback clubs. Right. It's a little tougher. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, what, what else are you going to say? They're, it's still football. It's yeah. still kind of, they all have kind of the same modes. Yeah, those are the ones that are hardest to talk about. There were all the multiple racing games. Oh, so many racing games. But I do think, I mean, I think that the GameCube is a great choice because it's, it has a manageable catalog, and there's yeah. not a lot of... Uh, sports game for it, and there's a lot of colorful, fun, weird, undiscovered games. You're gonna be playing a lot of games based on Nicktoons, I think. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that, that might be a little rough. I don't know. As for tips for getting started, I mean, um, I guess the usual tips are you know make sure you have a couple of episodes banked already before you launch, just so you know like you've got a rhythm down and you can kind of work some of the kinks out. Uh, set a schedule and stick to it like as much as possible. Um, my decent, I like these mic hangers that you finally set up. So yeah, yeah. Us to sort of not be right in each other's faces. And so yeah. It's much more comfortable than having to lean down into a mic. Oh, and, here's here's a weird yeah. thing nobody told me. Uh, if you're buying two mics, get two different brands of microphone because your computer will not recognize them as two separate microphones. I actually oh. had to have one of these sent back to the factory so they could rewire it and send it back to me, which was a whole other pain in the ass. But if you have two different mics of equal quality, I would say do that. So that's okay. that's, that's that's a free one. tip right and there. My, well, all, all our content is free. Oh, yeah. Except for the Patreon Except content, the Patreon. which is way better than this content. Oh, absolutely. Um, Go buy that Ultra 64 yeah. Pod dot uh, patreon.com slash ultra 64 pod ultra 64 patreon i know stuff um and I, the other thing i would say is even though you know spend money on an ad it it goes a long way like find a podcast that you like if they do average like advertising that people mm. can submit i think that it went a long way to making more people exposed to this show absolutely yeah i would say a lot of the people who are listening now heard us through the flop house so um thank you to those guys and their awesome ad read uh, cool. We got another letter here. Uh, hi, Stephen Woody. This will be the time you have a guest and I say nothing about nope, them. You nailed it. Nailed it. No, we're good. This is our game now is guess if there's a guest. <laughs> it's called guest guess. It's, <laughs> the guest guesting. 
I love hearing your opinions on these games. Thank you. I just wanted to add a couple things to your Road Rash experience. The first is that some of the music in the game was from the band Sugar Ray, which oh, I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, I did not know that. recognize it because it was just such bland noodling. I would, um, not, uh, I would not have recognized it as the Sugar Ray that I know and love and have tattoos of. Yeah. Um, I you just follow fly. from county fair to county fair. You know, yes. every morning, every morning, there's yes. a halo hanging from the corner of my girlfriend's four-post bed, and it's complicated. I don't know. I, I lost. That, those are all the Sugar Ray lyrics I know. Um, all, I thought that was all the Sugar Ray lyrics there were. Uh, the other thing was that the length of the races in multiplayer depend on how far you got in the single player. Oh, Interesting. Okay. I remember my friends and I would put in cheat codes to start most of the way, th- most way through the game so we could do the longer races. Okay. We also love to spray paint each other or cattle prod each other and push each other into buildings or cars and watch our weird blob bodies go flying. Yeah, no, it was, it was good times. Now, yeah. after playing Command and Conquer, I'm pretty nostalgic yeah, for Road good, Rash. Uh, good, bad game, Road yeah. Rash. Yeah. Uh, love your stuff. Do you know how many games you have left? And that is from Peter. Thanks, Peter. Doing the math on that from, this is eps, this is number 250. We have 46 games left to cover on this show. So okay. we're getting there. Not, yeah. we're not, We're not done yet. Uh, and one last letter here. Uh, hello, everyone. There's like four or five L's in there. Um, <laughs> as a teenager, I used to live a few minutes walk away from a local video rental place. It was our hangout spot. We would load up on candy and soda and then go skateboard in a corner of the parking lot. Oh, cool and the employees were cool enough to not hassle us and just let us chill. I, I clearly didn't work there. Oh, man. I yeah. would have hassled those guys so bad. So we would repay their kindness by rearranging their video games. <laughs> they had a tag with a serial number, not the name of the game, Velcro to the box of the game. So all you had to do was unstick the tag and take it to the counter to check out. So my friends and I would go in and just put the tags in the wrong games because we were jerks and it was endlessly amusing to us. Uh, I mean, I, I, I want to intervene here. This situation was like my biggest dream when I was a kid because I grew up in a cabin in the woods. Mm-hmm. Like I, They made a movie I, about it. They did, yeah. It was very accurate to my experience. And like anytime we would go in a grocery store run, I would just park in the video store section of the grocery store and memorize every box and just (laughs) dream about being able to hang out in a video store. It wasn't until I was in high school that we moved to an actual town with buildings that I got to go and actually live out this dream, and I would spend hours in video stores. Nice. Anyway, that was my You never thing. worked at a video store, though. No, the, no one ever hired me. Although my friend who worked at a video store would call me when the computer would fail. You would say, okay, they're looking for this movie. They don't know the title, but it has these people in it. So they would call me, and I would know it. That's yeah, my weird superpower. You. They wouldn't hire me, but I was their substitute database. So nice. whatever. I like, to, I like to play that game at the library. That's definitely one when people come in, and they're like, I'm looking for this movie. It has an actor in it, and he drives cars. And oh, like, yeah. Mad Max Fury Road, and they're like, that's it. That's you the one. That's it. the one. That's it. Wait, he has a scorpion jacket. Yeah, Mad Max Fury Road. Exactly. Um, anyway, back to the letter. Uh, so, yeah. Yes, they were rearranging tags in the store. Uh, I wish that explained how I ended up renting Carmageddon 64, but I double-checked that I had the right tag and proudly walked to the counter to rent Carmageddon 64. I tried to play for maybe an hour, but I doubt it was that long before walking back to the store and asking if I could rent a different game. I will say, playing Carmageddon 64, time expands. Yeah, you play oh that yeah. game for 10 minutes, you're like, it's been an hour, right? Yeah, like, it's, it's been days. It's like quarantine time. Yeah, also, yeah. for what it's worth, Cover of Carmageddon 64, pretty cool. I yeah, probably would have it too. Very <laughs> bright, very bright and appealing. Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, the workers were cool and they let me get something else. I don't remember what I got instead, but it was probably some other unplayable nightmare as my karma dictated. I deserved. Uh, keep doing cool what you're heroes. doing. <laughs> keep doing what you're doing as I can confirm the absence of the audio glitch lately. Hey, Ooh, all right. The wow. third co-host. That, that, uh, that's our guest. That was our... <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then finally, what are some of your favorite rental store moments? And that is from Dude Pal 2021 Thanks, Dude Pal. That's a great name. And I love that because uh, I feel like that's a reference to Aqua Teen Hunger Force. And I hope that's the case. Favorite video store rental memories. Yeah, share yeah. a good one. Yeah, I mean, I mean even though you weren't the renter. Yeah, if you've uh, if you've if you've got one to compliment that, um, like I, I, got I just ahead always of remember when um, they would rotate through their games, like they would pull games from the shelf and be like, "We're selling these." So I remember I went in one time and got like Mega Man X Three, Secret of Mana, and. Um, I don't know, maybe Super Smash TV for like $10 each. Nice. Um, but the problem is now my Mega Man X3 has a big like for rental only sticker oh, on the I front cover. I, I can't take those. it out without ripping the label itself. And it's like, well, this is, I guess, always staying in my collection. But it's also a fun, a fun memory. I, I really like it when you get old cartridges that have mm. someone's name written on the back. Oh, yeah. Even yeah, though totally. it like severely cuts down the day, de- cuts on the... Uh, 
you know, the value of the cart. I, I ended up with like randomly like six games from like Andrew Hanukkah or something like that. Okay. They all had the same name and they were like Pit Fighter, Hyperzone, and T2 for Super Nintendo. And I'm like, this guy had the worst taste so ever. The big, like, the big three. He only has crap games. Oh, my God. I mean, I, I'll offer up another memory. Like, uh, So I, I grew up in a little town, or like when I was in high school, and we actually moved to a town, Canyon City, Colorado, which is like a 45-minute drive from the nearest big city, which is Pueblo, Colorado. Okay. And they had a Hollywood video in Pueblo that actually carried foreign films. Okay. So when I was in high school and I'm starting to really get into foreign films and I didn't want to just watch Crouching Tiger again, like I would go down to the Hollywood video and I would see what they had. And I went there one time and they were liquidating all of their VHS tapes. So I walked up to the counter with like a stack of Fellini movies, like as half my height. Okay. Like they were laughing at how big the stack of VHS (laughs) tapes I was getting because they were like a dollar each. Yeah. And so I walked out of there with like... Uh, like a whole Tarkovsky collection. You had eight and a half movies. I had eight and a half movies. Uh, Like, I don't know. I just got all these amazing flicks that I haven't been able to see. Basically anything that Yanis Films and Kino Lorber had ever put out. Like My favorite thing about Yanis Films is how their mascot icon so clearly articulates the tone of their mo- of the movies that they produce. They're They've like, never updated like it. A boring stone head. And like, yep, that's what you're getting in this movie. It's got like, this weird film grain on it that still exists on DVDs. It's like perfect. it's crazy. But yeah, so I, I that was a that was a pretty amazing trip to Hollywood video to to clear out their VHS tapes. I like going uh, to the the very few video rental stores that are left and asking them for and being like, Do you have executive koala? Do you have the calamari wrestler? I just look up like, do you have big nuns with big guns? <laughs> do you have any DVD or do you have any uh, cardboard standees of Ryan Gosling? I yeah, can take like these home. are all real things. I just like, can I stump the video store guy? And I'm yeah. sure that they're very sick of that. Oh, I'm sure. Right. I'm sure. I mean, they exclusively hired bearded weirdos like yeah. me, except me. Yeah, except apparently, you. I wasn't bearded then. I don't know. I guess that's the problem. Yeah. Anyway, that's all we've got on uh, this week's episode yeah, of Command and Conquer. Very unrelated to Command and Conquer. Which, you know what? I'm okay with. We're yeah. slap happy. We're tired. It's late. I am fine Hopefully with it. Hopefully next week we get to play a more a game with more joy. This Command you know and what? Conquer was the Janus films of games. When are we going to play the the canon films of games? I would say uh, we are going to be playing something that brings us a lot of joy next week. Or at least, maybe not us, but a lot of people a lot of joy. Because we are playing a couple of major, major heavy hitters. That's Pokemon Stadium 1 and 2. Ooh. Yes, we are finally finishing out Pokemon games on the N64. Can you believe heard, it? We I've finally heard of made those it. Pokemans. Uh, we're going to have some fun guests along. It's going to be a good time. We're going to talk so right in about now some and Pokemon. Say guest. Yes, right in the house at guest. We're giving you the answer to guess the guest. Guess guess that guest. Um, so everybody, we'll see you next week for Pokemon Stadium One and uh, the Two. When I say Pokemon, you say Stadium. stadium. Pokemon. Oh, stadium. Pokemon. Red. Ah oh, oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Right. Okay. Red alert. Red Damn alert. It. Snap. Snap. Pokemon snap. Steve, turn off the podcast. Okay. okay.